dealing with COVID. It's just like, it's just like so superficial in a lot of senses, isn't it? Because it's just the same thing that you just keep parroting mm. over and over again. Exactly. And how am I coping? Keeping routine, keeping yeah, structure. Nice. Yeah. Um, just finding moments of reprieve and disconnection is really important. I mean, what, what, what do you think? Like, I mean, you, you guys went through a version of it, but like, and it might happen again in different mm. states. Like, what do you think mentally is, is the best way to keep the monkey mind calm and, and rational and logical? Well, the only way really to deal with suffering is to have 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 a sense of meaning, and it, it's the only it's the only way really to deal with suffering. Otherwise, life becomes unbearable if there's no meaning. Mm. So it's it's very easy as a business owner, and especially someone in you know in one of these service type businesses like me and Lockie and, and you guys and Woodford and all that stuff to find meaning. You know, we we could find meaning in lockdown and we've with encouraging the athletes and creating solutions for them and whatnot. So yep. I guess I'm in a very privileged position because if we went back into lockdown tomorrow, sure it would be fucking annoying yeah. for a couple of days, just logistically speaking. But the meaning hasn't changed for me. Why I get up in the mornings won't change and um, maybe how I spend my time will change, um, but not in a bad way, not at all. I would. We, we have many things left, left not complete that we would like, probably love a chance like to tasks complete. and projects yeah. yeah it gives you that you opportunity know. so i think i think that's critical for people if 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 they get hit um if they get hit with another lockdown let's say sydney adelaide whatever and then they feel really um really directionless i think that's probably a good snapshot or insight into a deeper problem for them yes. which is well where where do you extract meaning for your life because life is about suffering whether you like it or not and and covid just is another iteration of suffering because you you don't have you know your semblance of routine and normality like you would expect to have but that's life that's life it's a constant struggle of as you said you know dealing with the chaos and finding a way to create order in your life yeah just that's just what is it is that is life and that's so the I good thing it's... it highlights people's um holes in their bucket i've said yeah. before for sure right it's time sure. to fill so, you know it's i don't i i am i would personally and and i say this with a lot of gratitude because the business is an incredible position uh but I would I would embrace another lockdown not because I think on balance it's a good thing but because it is what it is and I will make good use of it like Lockie and I made great use of our time in lockdown and it would be foolish for us to say that the success we've had since lockdown say let's call the last eight to ten weeks however long it's been has had nothing to do with how we chose to spend our time. It has everything to do with how we chose to spend our time. And you know, we've had we've had unprecedented like the growth has just been incredible. It's amazing in the past um, ten weeks, and that is because of the actions we chose to take, and and how we try to create our environment to succeed rather than letting um, life happen to us. Yeah. 
you know. But not everyone's going to be in that position because not everyone thinks like Lockie and I do, and not not everyone um, adapted um, as well, perhaps. So you I don't know. I'm fucking great. Actually, real quick, I think your mic is rubbing against your um. Oh shit! Yeah, it would be. Something. Yeah, it would be. Just a heads up. Take it off. Yeah, it's getting all scratchy, probably. But uh, what did you just say? You thinking? I'm thinking. I'm trying to think about what you said, but um, I think a lot of people just feel they're fatigued mentally. Again, oh, they just yeah. it's it's it's, it's we're getting pressure tested. We need this. I need this. Right? Good. Yeah. But it doesn't change the challenge of how it feels intrinsically. It, but like logically, I know we need it. What is life then? Yeah. What, what, what is life then yeah. if it isn't it is it <laughs> if it isn't perpetual suffering? That's what it is. Mm. Conquering we, that up and down. We it is it's a constant, and that's why we need that sense of meaning to give us a reason. Yes, a good enough reason to face the adversity and face the suffering head on because it because it is we're, we're born the moment we're born our. Our fate is predetermined. We know we're going to die. Mm. And we know we're going to suffer the whole way through it, trying to make it work. Life is like we spend our whole life trying to make it work and, and, and get through with, you know, a sense of purpose and meaning. So COVID is just another iteration. It's all it is. It's, it's the next thing to distract us. It's the next thing to challenge us. Mm-hmm. And, and the same people always rise to the top. Yeah. So, okay. So then what characteristics do those people have? Okay. They choose to embrace suffering as opposed to letting, uh, as opposed to letting themselves suffer uh, involuntarily. So it's, it's, a, it's about a choice, I think. I think you can voluntarily embrace the suffering or you can involuntarily uh, suffer. And that's like that's a Jocko Willink idea. That's not my idea. Well, actually, that's not a Jocko Willink idea. That's a, like a human that's idea. a that's a human idea. Yeah, like you know, that is every every story on earth sur- is surrounded by like embrace and face adversity, face the demons, face the challenges, do it, do it because there is a boon, there's an object of desire, there's something on the other side for you. You know that that's not anyone's idea. That is a fundamental to human mythology, really. Um, so it's so the idea I, of embracing. It's it's just allowing. Come in. I will handle you. I will deal with it. Yeah. Well, and and also and also not accept it for what it is. Right. Like it is it is it is meant to be hard. Yeah. You know, for if you think of like the the if you think of the the enemy, the the archetypal enemy, the enemy is meant to be a challenge. It's meant to push you. It's meant to threaten you. You could die. You could die. Wow. I've just turned on the screen and just heard you could die. You could die. What have I walked into, boy? <laughs> um, we're, we're trying to just at least conceptualize the idea of, well, what, what is distinguishing people that thrive in these types of environments versus those that generally struggle in these types of environments and I'm, I'm trying to conceptualize the idea that it might be the difference between those who voluntarily choose to suffer and those who involuntarily suffer yeah and there's something in the choice 
of embracing the adversity, the inevitable adversity that's going to come with it. And COVID's just another iteration of this adversity of life. Um, there's no, there's no, there's no version of anybody's life without adversity, is exactly. it? No, like it's it's yeah. just, it's always about how, how you react and adapt to it. Yeah, it's, it's coming whether you you like it or not. So you may as well embrace it voluntarily yeah. and Absolutely. and seek it out. You know, I seek that shit out. Yeah. Find a way for me to be pushed to be challenged. I'm all for it. Well, I do almost remember. <clears throat> was it was it you, Carl, or somebody else that said, "Bring on the next pandemic." Yeah, it was a man. Oh, that was it. Yeah, yeah. it was a man. <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, well, I think uh, could you call could you call this the the second coming? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, how you, how you boys traveling over there, Carl? You're good? Mate, fantastic. Uh, as, as predicted, you know, when we spoke first, we were like, well, what comes after this? And I'm pretty sure I said, look, there is going to be a, a huge rebound effect yeah. for those that put themselves in, in the right position. And everyone I've spoken to, all my, my peer circles, guys like you, Sean, guys that I mentor, have said, Holy, and, you know, even guys in Melbourne, Chris Radford in Ballarat and a few other guys have said, this has been the craziest, busiest 10 weeks for my business of, of my life. I've never ever seen more athletes come through the door, more people sign up than ever before. Absolutely. And you know, we're we're no different. But that's the challenge too. Like I'm in the same boat. I think a lot of the stress that I'm experiencing is like, I'm fucking busy. Yeah. 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 And how do you reconcile that? Yes. How do you you reconcile that? Exactly. Because the yeah. cup is very full, mm. and if it gets too full, it overfills. Yeah, it overflows. How do you guys manage the cup? It's going to overfill sometimes. You got to learn your boundaries, right? So yes, yeah. but then how do you manage that? Well, it's funny you say that. I mean, like, had a conversation yesterday um, in the afternoon, and I said, "Mate, we need to get a virtual assistant. We need a PA." Yeah. I, yeah like cool. we've spent. We you know we have to do it. Um, so I actually looked, I actually, there's, I found an Australian outsourcing company that finds, that essentially you pay them a commission to find you VAs uh, for general and technical administrative work that, uh, you know, high level English speaking, they live in the Philippines, you know, the median wage is three bucks an hour, you're going to pay them 10, which yeah. is like the most incredible opportunity for them. They're like, holy fuck, like I get a chance to work with an Australian company get paid three times the median wage for general administrative work, which I'm proficient at. So Wegan, I'm, I'm now in that process out of finding a VA just to filter my emails, to take people through onboarding, to send through contracts, to make sure things get signed, to be the accounts receivable person, to answer the phone if mine rings out. Um, all, those, all those types of things. Yeah. And because I need some fucking time back. Fuck me dead. Like I have been... It's been fucking intense. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, essentially since reopening, we've put on uh, another sort of like 1.5 coaches full time almost. So one one, one girl is is pretty much uh, flat out. We've got another one that's doing probably uh, 50% hours as well as sort of finishing off his ex phys degree. Mm. Uh, And then sort of on top of that as well, been pretty fortunate that uh, my mother in law who has. 20 years of experience in sort of like recreation management. She worked at a uh, at a swimming centre. Yeah. She's jumped on board to to sort of pretty much really cover all of facilities the management. Yeah. That's it. Recovery service, <coughs> recovery services, and and all that sort of back end work in regards to 
member follow-ups and, and bookings and things like that as well. So, uh, yeah, similar similar boys. I'm just feeling, feeling very fortunate and, uh, and appreciate the opportunity to sort of continue to collaborate with you boys and, and, and draw inspiration from you lads and bounce ideas off you as well. So it's been, uh, it's all been about part of the process. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been pretty handy. Who's coming on? Woody's coming on? Yeah, we're, we're, we're already chatting. We're already live. Um, nice. But, oh, yeah. Right. Beautiful. I, yeah. I can't, yeah. I just kind of <laughs> did it when I when I um, noticed you guys were, you were in the heat of a conversation. Um, yeah. There you go. Focus is back. Um, but, yeah, Woody's supposed to come on. Ryan, I, I unfortunately couldn't make it for everybody listening um, why he couldn't make it. And so, yeah, but, you know, we can still yeah we can still chat and get into it um it's still gonna be a valuable conversation so one of the places i guess we wanted to start shifting the conversation like because every topically everybody is talking about um uh, the pandemic and adjusting around that and i think it's it's time to kind of shift the conversation to some other topics and avenues because you know people's lives are still going on they're still having to do all the responsibilities so let's talk about improving and talking about those conversations and and one thing is the uh the wage standard in this industry and it's a big point of complaints and um uh, conversation um in the health and fitness industry and ice hockey australia had their voluntary position that some Mm. of you saw and were vocal about um what do you guys think of that and what can actually be done to improve the wage expectation and standard essentially uh well i think to be honest with you almost the the reaction around that advertisement with ice hockey australia is a, i guess a, a very small stepping stone in the right direction as you talked about sort of i guess probably in in, in years gone by People wouldn't have said a thing. Obviously, with probably less social media as well, blokes just would have offered themselves up as uh, as freely as possible, just for the sake of, I guess, the, the opportunity. And and it would have just happened, and somebody would have been appointed, and uh, nobody would have batted an eyelid. But I think the the uproar and uh, the the vocalism of, of the athletes' authorities in your Woodfords, uh, that's that's really going to help uh, probably bridge that gap between where we are now and, and where the industry needs to be um but pretty pretty much really to be honest with you share share the same thoughts as everybody who did sort of uh physically post about it i think i appreciate a few things on our story i didn't personally get around to <clears throat> to, to any sort of uh video debate or anything along those lines probably more for a fact of of uh time constraints than anything but but certainly uh loved all the uh, all the media that was right around <laughs> there it is oh mate <laughs> yeah. Uh, a scary man, Big Woodford. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really genuinely hoping that maybe, for example, whoever put that ad together, with lack of uh, knowledge and education, maybe just copied and pasted another advert that they'd seen previously uh, and were instructed that they had no finance to to it. But really, at the end of the day, for a, for a position like that, the most they, they would be expecting is a second or third year exercise fine student who maybe wants to get their, their hands dirty a little bit. I understand that there are um, those institutions out there that are very lowly funded or not profit. Uh, but certainly, the, as you said, the, the shopping list of accreditation experience that they are asking for in return for nothing 
is uh, unacceptable. Thank you, Sean. Woody, can you mute your uh, Karen or Woody? Can you mute your <laughs> microphone for a second, please? Oh, it's pretty loud in there. Thank you. <laughs> there we go. Uh, get us going, Carl. I I think probably the also the thing to realise with the ice hockey Australia is the complete um, diversion and the complete change of course that we saw Ice Hockey Australia um, take as a result of the public criticism. They clearly didn't, on, on, on second assessment, think that their expectations were justified mm. because they, they, they completely changed the, the expectations, at least on, the, on, the, um, on that application form. And they now made an emphasis, if you look at the second iteration, that they were not-for-profit and there was an intrinsic value of being part of a sporting organisation, which was completely separate to what they originally said is, we expect you to maintain the a world's best standard of um, expertise in your area. It's, it's, it was a complete um, disconnect between the two sets of expectations. And what I was concerned about, well, what was I concerned about? I was concerned that if we let that expectation that we need to be held to a world's best standard using their terminology, and it was never remunerated, and these types of things are never remunerated properly, that will never actually be will never actually be valued in the way that you know Woody and a whole bunch of others always push. We need to be seen as valuable components to an organisation, and for as long as we accept to be held to such a high standard, a world's best standard but not hold our own value to the same standard by saying we, I need to be paid for my time, my expertise and my value, the, the industry will not change. So, you know, I obviously, Lockie was dissatisfied with it. I was dissatisfied with it. Woody was dissatisfied with it. That's not to say that there weren't people who disagreed with us. We got heaps of um, screenshots of people saying, oh, athletes authority slandering these guys, you know, you know, avoid them, don't engage with them, you know, etc. So there's heaps of people who disagree, which is fantastic. It's a shame that they don't ever want to engage publicly with us, maybe because they know they won't win. Mm. Um, but it's a, it's a disappointment that we can't have those conversations because I'd love to find all those strength coaches, those physios who disagreed with us privately actually come and put their position forward publicly because we could actually make progress then if we can just enter the arena together and have these conversations we can make progress but for as long as there is a position stand you know iha does this we uh, then there's a position that objects and you know woody objected i objected Lockie objected and then there is then just chatterings and murmurs and chinese whispers all behind the scenes there's no one actually in in the arena because ice hockey shouldn't be the guy ice hockey australia shouldn't be the guys who are in the arena it should be our own people in the arena kind of sharing their ideas and if they disagree we need to hear that and that's what i find disappointing it's just so it's so boring in this industry, no one has the balls to actually have a conversation about this because we can't get better. You know, this industry is not going to get better when me and Woody just share the same idea about something and it's just a, it's a rant of two ideas. That's just an echo chamber. Yeah, so how does we, it change? We, we have to, we, we, need to, we need to encourage dissonance. 
we need to in, encourage, um, sorry, not distance. We need to encourage dissenting opinions. That needs to be promoted. So if you disagree okay. with something that we say or Woody says, or maybe the, the, the current standard or position, if you disagree, we need to hear that. Bring your ideas forward because then we can actually, actually debate it. Okay. But, you know, as I said before, I don't, I don't think people avoid it because they don't think they'll win, which is maybe a good indication that your argument isn't strong enough or well thought out enough. Right. If you see it as a win-lose, then maybe you're, maybe you're in, in the wrong reason. So maybe I shouldn't use that terminology, I guess. But you need to, you need to come at this with, if we need to improve, if we're ever going to improve the industry, then we need to have a free market of ideas. And there is no free market of ideas at the moment. The other, the other I guess, um, issue that I think about in this situation as well, and obviously we're looking at it from a sort of like a, a coach versus organisation perspective, but also I feel for the athletes that are caught up in between as well. So we actually have one of the uh, Australian ice hockey girls who, who uh, train at peak. Um, she's uh, an SA girl. She, she plays a bit of footy as well. But uh, uh, she, I think she was pretty, pretty shattered and, uh, I don't know, almost in a sense like a little bit, uh, ashamed or embarrassed when she sort of saw what what had been posted and the the conversation that was happening around that and and really sort of uh, probably has impacted how she feels valued as as an athlete who's actually rep- representing Australia at the highest level and something she takes a lot of pride in too. Um, yeah, it's, it's 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 shattering for them to sort of see all, uh, all this sort of. Um, are happening on a, in a pretty, pretty public forum too. Well, that's exactly the point. These yeah. potential winter Olympians. Yeah. yeah. These are like Olympians. Like we hold the idea of Olympics to the highest standard. Mm. It is the, you know, ideologically, it is the pinnacle of human performance. You know, when we think of, you know, Mount Olympus and the Greek gods being the archetypal representations of the best that humanity can bring. And, you know, that's where Olympics comes from is Mount Olympus because they were the Olympians, the, the third the third generation of gods in Greek mythology. It's meant to be the best that we can be. And then to see a laundry list of responsibilities and, you know, we expect this of you to look after our athletes to a world's best standard, but we won't pay you a dollar mm. for it is is almost embarrassing it's it's actually is embarrassing and it's sad for the athletes because it's also a reflection of their perceived value ice hockey australia clearly doesn't perceive their athletes that highly if they're not willing to invest a dollar Mm. and not-for-profit is not the same as no revenue that's not the same thing Mm -hmm. and most people get that wrong not-for-profit means it's simply not a company that has a profit and loss statement and a balance sheet at the end of the year. Revenue still comes in and revenue still comes out. You can have sponsorship money come in to fund a performance department. And this is a fucking potential Olympic team. It's just mind-blowing. I, is, is ice hockey still in the Winter Olympics? It well, certainly it's, was, it's, historically. Sure, yeah. I know they had World Championships only sort of last year, and I think they're uh, in there. I think there's a... Uh, number of divisions the aussie girls were in division b but they they, they won gold in division b so they're not uh, uh i'm gonna still... i'm gonna search that up winter olympics ice hockey yeah <laughs> i just did too it looks like uh it is since the 1920s um... fuck me dad like, <laughs> it's a fucking olympic fucking sport like it's it's embarrassing 
And I feel for the athletes, Sean. You're absolutely right, and they probably weren't considered in this in this in this conversation we had last week. Yeah. And it's it's a shame that they're never fucking considered. These athletes are never considered unless there is obvious monetary reward from an AFL or an NRL or something like that. They're never considered. They they expect to make every fucking sacrifice for the love of it, but never ever get the support they need. It's just it's a, it's shocking. Woody, talk to us. Yeah, we talk about the ice hockey Australia position. I know you got strong thoughts on all this about you know what we can do to actually earn a or what coaches can do to earn a higher wage in the industry. Yeah, raise that um, standard. Like always, this is just a consistent cycle of just abuse for us. We just get disrespected consistently. I found it interesting that if these guys get injured, which our goal is to actually minimise injury um, injury occurring. So if you think about it. If you get the best, let's say for football, you get the best 22 on the park, the chances of you winning are going to increase exponentially. So wouldn't you fucking think that these people would invest in proper structured S&C, not only for performance, but introduction? Because I'll tell you something, if they were to get injured, I guarantee you the physio or the doctor or the surgeon would be working for free. So why us? And prevention is better than cure. So wouldn't you want to think, don't prepare properly so you don't get injured, so you perform at high levels, so they get the chance to win gold medals. It makes no fucking sense. This has been going on for fucking years since I, I started Woodford eight years ago, September 12th. September, yeah, 12, September 14th, I started my mum's birthday. And um, it hasn't gotten any better. It's gotten worse. The, the industry's flooded. I don't want to say like a negative cunt, but um, I was pretty upset at the whole thing. It was great to see a lot of support. Um, um, Lockie, uh, Athletes Authority, a lot of people got around it. I was really proud of of the community that we do have now in the private sector, um, mm. everyone kind of just said, we got together and go, enough's, enough's enough. It's just a fucking joke. And we can't wait on the governing bodies anymore. We're just going to do it ourselves. And the issue is, man, I think, Sean, Carl, you you both agree with me on this, is someone out there would take it. And this is the whole issue, man. We just don't understand our worth. And, Carl, you're like a guy who, like, you're, you're big on pushing the... Um, the the like the business side knowing your value, work, yeah. value value right mm. these all these kids come out right and they they all do the same thing man like Sean you're like you've got your own business you're working pro sport you understand same as um uh, Lockie when he was with Athletes Authority mm. you guys go well fuck man this is not a long term thing I'm gonna have kids I, you know I got you know Sean you got kids you got a family I'm gonna work in the private sector because that's my that's gonna be for the rest of your life. But you know, you're still gonna work pro sport. The issue is a lot of these young kids, man, don't know their value and they just put all their eggs in one basket and they think that that's the pinnacle. And then they get there, they're like, holy shit, I can't do this, I can't do that. You know, this guy's gonna tell me what to do the whole time. I don't have autonomy. When they could go in the private sector, build their name up from there and actually get paid a decent living. Cause right now, if everyone watching, you're pretty much fuck, man, to get paid in this industry in Australia. Very, it's going to be very, very hard from now on because there's so many kids coming through, graduates, graduates. Every single uni in Australia now does sports science. Yeah. Most of them do a master's program. What is your point of difference? I'll tell you what, no fucking club gives a fuck, really, generally speaking, about how many letters you have behind your number. It's about, example, I'll just give an example for everyone out there. There's a club in the AFL that um, has a guy who doesn't have a degree at all, but he just knows someone high up as a coach gets a job, my mate gets fired because of the um, COVID-19, who's a gun, who's doing most of it. And unfortunately, that's how it just goes. It's not what you know, it's who you know. So mm. it's frustrating. The whole I'm going off topic with the Ice Hockey Australia thing, but yeah. disgusting, disgusting um, post. And um, I was 
I'll be honest, man. That was the one of the saddest days in uh, last eight years for me. Even before my mental health, that made me upset because um, we deserve better and we're just treated like shit. And enough's enough. And um, if anyone from ice hockey is watching, fuck you, dogs. Piece of shit. Fuck you. Fucking treating us like shit. I had enough. And okay. you know what? Fuck and fuck that CEO who's got fucking guts to come out and write that bullshit thing to say. Oh, fucking, we, 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 we don't know what we've done wrong. You know what you've done wrong. Mm. Just come out and apologize and we can all move forward. But instead, you put out some stupid press release. Disgusting. You've disrespected us. Fuck you. That's all I'm going to say. Slightly expanding on, on what Woody said, and he obviously touched on on uh, myself and obviously Lockie. I'll give you. I don't want to. I don't want to bore people too much, but I want to give you a quick little, uh, I guess, story that that just shows that uh, that it's not all it cracks up to be. Probably pro sport to be to be honest with you. So I was I was I was one of those kids to be honest with you, Woody. Like just like probably everybody else is. I came out bright eyed. I've done an internship when I was. Still at uni, I was uh, did a, did twelve months with the Crows. Um, that was again, that was all for all for free. Once I finished up and got into the master's degree, I was pretty much was working for free um, through the sample clubs essentially for three or four years, just um, as an assistant, and then progressively uh, working my way up the ranks to make ends meet. Their their uh, I guess little. Uh, agreement was that I could use that facility to do some some private coaching, some one-on-one stuff. So that's sort of how peak it, uh began. I, I never actually planned on doing any private stuff in the first place, to be honest with you. Um, again, sort of year and year went by. I ended up getting a, a gig doing some development work at Port Adelaide again, which was part-time, and then doing some stuff uh, with uh, uh, Darren Creed Academy, which again was part-time, and doing all these little bits and pieces and really – at the end of the day, that the only thing that sort of kept me going on the side was the private, the, the private work that we're doing. It, it was, what a it, fucking it, surprise. It's the, the only thing that sort of sustained me. And I, I got to the end of 2018, or sort of, let's say, mid mid to, to late 2018. And I, I was really, really frustrated in the industry, but again, like, like every, everybody has been, and thought that I'd, I'd done my, my, my dues uh, as, as a... Um, a, a semi-professional S&C coach who busts my guts working for $5,000 a year, $6,000 a year, $7,000 a year uh, and decided to just sort of apply for every job that was on the ASCA website at the time uh, and ended up having a few interviews and almost uh, took a job in China, almost took a job in China to work with uh, Olympic basketball just for the fact that that was the only job that at the time was sort of presented as a, as a full-time gig, paid maybe, I think, $80,000 a year and so on and so forth. Thank God it didn't take that. It was, uh, we, we, we sat down with the missus and it was either going to be a matter of we moved overseas for me to finally get a, a, a full-time job in the industry or we open up a private facility. Fast forward 12 months, it's probably the best decision we had. Like, I was a bit gutted at the time. Like I thought, this is my opportunity and I was a bit shattered that we didn't take it. But now in hindsight... Could not be more grateful. It's the greatest decision I've ever made in my life because, again, if, if it was if it was for me working in pro sport, even if I did have a full-time gig in Adelaide, for example, I'd be living on the streets at the moment because there's, there's that many highly, highly accredited coaches that are so much uh, more experienced and so much more knowledgeable than me that are unemployed at the moment. They got given the flick straight away when the soft cap got reduced because of what's going on at the moment. Um, I probably would have gone missing in China somewhere. I would have been, you'd never heard from me ever again with our uh, international relations at the moment, too. So, uh, just for anybody who's watching and thinks that pro sport is the only way, I literally, I'd, 
like I'd, I wouldn't be alive right now and wouldn't be able to sustain a family yeah. if it was a pro sport. Yes, it's given me credibility. Yes, it's been enjoyable, and yes, it's given me a great deal of experience. But financially, it's given me very, very minimal. Very minimal, absolutely. That's a great story, man. That's a great story. And I'm trying to pass mm. out, like, what is... All right, what can be done? What are the coaches, the people watching? What's what's the point of uh, the key lesson here? And what I'm interpreting is, number one, is encourage people massively into the private sector, right? Get that message out as wide and far as we can. Mm. Come into the private sector. Volunteer, intern, we'll give you jobs, right? Number two is maybe, and this is my idea, maybe we can all just, as private facilities and private coaches, partner with these organizations, communicate, build relationships so we can come together. All right, Ice Hockey Australia, we've, people have said this and this about you. We don't agree, but let's talk. As maybe Athletic Authority can go to Ice Hockey mm. and start a partnership. And mm. now we can facilitate high-level coaches and high-level coaching with these athletes. Everybody wins. Mm. That's definitely an option, and that yeah. would that would probably be a good path forward. I think be a good I think path forward. Even even say for example, I, th- I think AFL clubs would would uh, find benefit in partnering with a private facility that would be able to, uh, I guess, uh, give us as, as, as much of uh, a, a good service to their athletes as uh, a full time um, employee. Absolutely. But they'll probably save themselves a few bucks. Like if, if it's con- contractual work. Uh, they're not having to pay super and sick leave and all that sort of stuff too. So from a financial benefit and trying to recoup their losses, that, that might be um, beneficial from their point of view. And then there's obviously not as much obligation from the uh, the, the facility's point of view in regards to or they, they might be able to share the workload between multiple staff and provide some opportunities for some kids coming through. And you, you'll be able to uh, progressively build up to, to providing full-time opportunities for some of those those. Uh, uh, people come into the private sector too. So you might have contracts with two or three clubs across a range of sports as opposed to just being locked into full-time doing 15 hours a day at one sporting club, uh, getting reamed uh, for, for probably fairly poor money as well. Absolutely. Because, and I'm, look at Woody. Woody, I see you talk... We, bro, I've, I've known you for years, man. Uh, you've talked about this for years. And I'm like, he's sick and tired of this. Everybody's sick and tired of this. Well, maybe... Every time you see that club do that, reach out to them and maybe see if you can develop a relationship. Hey, let's see if we can partner. Yeah, listen, I, I, I've, um, some clubs are real good. I'm not going to explain which clubs I don't like, but um, okay. some clubs have still got their head up their ass and um, we're not going to work with him, fuck him and all this shit just because I'm out yeah. there I'm a bit different. Yeah, okay. I don't give a fuck, cunt, what is what it is. Um, I'm going to work with people who want to work with me. If you don't want to work with me, sure. I don't give a fuck. Players still come to me. I could tell you the players that come to me right now that they um, don't tell their clubs, but what's the point? I'm not going to do it. I want to tell the SNC coach. If the SNC coach isn't insecure, Carl, I know you agree with me on this. How insecure mm. is this fucking industry? We're just right. fucking, so many people are so fucking insecure. It's like mm. he's going to beat him down. And uh, man, I just yeah. don't understand well, why we just do this. Well, Woody and I share an athlete. We have an athlete that when he's when uh-huh. this athlete's in Melbourne, well, he's, with Woody, hey, yeah. when he's here, here in Sydney, he's here, uh, and it's fine. Mm. It's a, there, there is no animosity. There doesn't need to be. Uh, We're here to serve the athlete, for fuck's uh, sake. Yeah. Uh, We're not here to pull our own dicks. Uh, it's, it's or, just... or play with our own boobs, of course. <laughs> um, mm. It's um, it's always funny. I don't know. I just think that um, as this industry, we um, because there's not enough jobs, people get territorial. 
and they worry about um, a, a lot of people, especially the older demographic, in my opinion, not the younger guys, but a lot of the older guys are very in, because a lot of the younger guys are very, very smart coming through. Not the not saying the older guys aren't smart, the experienced, but um, people get um, what's the word for it? Um, paranoid. P- paranoid, but also um, they get um, they see someone as a threat. So what they do is they beat that that kid down so he doesn't feel. Um, as welcome doesn't feel it happens all the time, man. I've heard stories at AFL clubs where I've had a young coach come to me, not AFL, plenty of other clubs as well, but um, other coaches. But the kids have said, Oh, um, I go, How did you find the experience? That was terrible. This guy wouldn't talk to me, you know, this this guy was okay. Like, it's still, man, listen, as an industry, we're so far fucking behind. As if you look at America, like you look at my guy I learned off, Drew, Coach Wilson. Um, he he lets anyone in to watch him. If you message him and say, hey, I'd just love to watch a session, yeah, sweet. How many AFL clubs would people let that? Now, honestly, no, it can't always happen, but Drew works in a Div 1 program, probably the, the highest level D1 program at Colorado, and he just lets anyone in there. He doesn't really care as long as you want to learn. That's how they do it. Here in Australia, how many times can that happen? It doesn't really happen. So too many people are scared, like, think they've got a secret. If everyone out there, there's no secret. Just do the basics absolutely well and integrate with the sport. Everyone squats, everyone deadlifts, everyone does some sort of supplementary, everyone jumps, sprints, lands, change direction. There's nothing secretive out there. No one's got a secret source. I don't. None of these three do. No, just do the basics. But for some reason, this industry, man, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I'm kind of um, really disappointed, man. Really disappointed. I don't know. I mean, that hockey thing came out. I've been, been depressed anyway because of this fucking whole masking and the whole Victorian thing. You two are... Sean um, in South Australia. And, um, I don't know, Carl, how's it going in New South Wales, Sydney? Is it, it, you guys aren't locked down or... Hold up. The audio is not coming through, Carl. I think you're muted, Carl. <laughs> you're not muted on Zoom. Now, you're good. Test, test, test. Yeah, yeah, that's better. Still quiet. Still quiet. Woody, would you like me to kick off while yeah, I can't? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah To be honest with you, we've probably seen yeah, uh, a little... Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we've, seen, uh, we've seen almost like... Uh, when we, when we first opened up, everybody was very, very wary. So this is after the, sort of the first ISO and everybody was really, really hyper aware. We're obviously restricted in numbers and so on and so forth. And everybody, like as soon as they, they even walked past the dumbbell, wiped it. Uh, we, we went through about 3 billion chucks a day. Like just, uh, like I'll, I'll take out um, shares in chucks, mate. It's unbelievable. And then as we progressed through, obviously SA had a period there where we had nothing at all. Uh, and probably people became a little bit complacent. There were still some people that are aware and, and would would probably contact us and say, I saw so-and-so who uh, didn't use a towel today or didn't wipe up his dumbbells afterwards and things like that as well. And then probably in the last two weeks, we've had a couple of, uh, a couple of cases dribble through. We had a case of somebody, and then not pointing fingers, but somebody from Victoria who came back to, to SA and uh, broke quarantine and went to a gym up in Adelaide Hills eight times during his, sort of, his, his quarantine. So we're, we're being looked at really heavily at the moment, touch wood. Uh, so home gatherings have been reduced back down to 10 people. They were at 50. Uh, pubs and clubs, you're only allowed to sit down there. You're not allowed to go stand up at a pub and a, and a club now. Um, and they said gyms are under heavy scrutiny. So we're, we're prepping ourselves to, to sort of go backwards a little bit over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but hopefully we, we sort of don't go look, again I think we've talked about it before we're, we're prepared in any circumstance we've got alternative outdoor venues ready to go we've got portable equipment ready to go 
We've got all our online programming ready to go. So we're, we're ready for worst case scenario, but hopefully we're, we're hoping that it just sort of becomes a case of that numbers in your facility are limited. Uh, you maybe have to book in to, to get your time slot. Whereas at the moment we are a facility, certainly if you're coming in for coaching, you're booked in, but you can come in and do your, your program in your own time as well. So at the moment, um, there's nothing too restrictive, but there's uh, sort of this, this funny sense in the air where everybody's anticipating Learning. things to really crack back down again and to, things to explode, especially with people who's just sort of, people don't think, as you said, like, like one, one person literally breaking a quarantine rule can, can destroy a whole state almost. You can destroy an industry. People don't think about the repercussions of their actions. So uh, watch this space, boys. <laughs> Can you hear me out? Yeah, you're good, Carl. Mate, what do you think's a fine here? I think everyone in New South Wales is is trying to stay in control of what they can control. We've got some um, some moronic policy at the moment where at all times um, a COVID marshal, a dedicated COVID COVID marshal enforcing COVID safety policies has to be on the floor um, in like maintaining physical distance and, and all that really? jazz. And- in gyms. In gyms, huh? Yeah. Um. So you know, I have to walk around in orange vest and 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 be that guy or girl. Um. Now that would make sense in a in a high volume facility, but ironically, in a in a low volume facility like most private, independently owned facilities are, it's going to have the inverse effect of what it's what it's wanting to do. It's going to reduce the amount of hours that the gym is open because no independent facility can afford especially if they're close to 24 hour can afford to have someone on for 35 bucks an hour standing around spraying equipment. So all that will end up happening is that hours will reduce the same amount of people will need to come in a smaller amount of time and increase transmission risk. Anyway, look, we could ramble about this stuff all day, but it's, it's out of our control. We just, it is what it is. So, you know, we've, I've, I've just canceled open gym. We have no open gym anymore. It's not a thing. I canceled 30 people's members. Uh, memberships i've lost some money it is what it is it gives a fuck we have to move on yeah well said keep moving keep moving i I mean speaking of um i think one thing i wanted to touch on with all you guys is you're all established years and years you guys have worked super hard to develop these systems and what's behind successful organizations and people is they have systems they have habits and so i want to kind of break that down a little bit with each and every one of you carl sean and wood Wood, who I know the most, because I've been with you for years, your systems and methods are, are tried and true and very robust. Um, but for Carl and Sean, especially, can you guys take us through your systems, everywhere from when the your first client comes in the door all the way to them competing at the goddamn Olympics or whatever from, from those moments? How do you take okay. them there? Well, I want to preface this whole... Um, next little spill by A. I hope I do Lockie Systems justice because these are Lockie Systems, not my own. And sure. you always um, articulate these ideas better. And I would also say he has done a few podcasts on this topic specifically. I think a science for, for sport podcast he has done. Um, so with that in mind, we have literally flipped 180 degrees over the, the course of maybe the past four years. Early on in the piece, when we cons- the when we thought about the idea of individualization, we thought of an athlete comes in, is screened, and then from a blank canvas, we then start to program. 
And so, you know, then we'd, we'd allocate cool squat pattern here or knee dom pattern, auxiliary, plyos, whatever, you know, et cetera. And we would build programs from scratch. And it was kind of like this, this badge of honor to say we built these programs from scratch. They were, they were wholly individualized for the individual. And that worked for a while. It worked whilst we were small yeah. and we were playing small. When we had a, a few athletes on the books, you know, when we were primarily subsidized by gym memberships and general gym goers and personal training, that worked. It does not work at scale. It simply does not work. Um, nor is it even that effective because it, when you're trying to service a whole bunch of athletes and you've got six coaches, for example, let's say you've got six coaches with 20 athletes each and they're all programming with their own ideas and there is no structure to the session, you have 10 athletes on the gym floor, some are doing sleds in their A sequence, some are doing like contrast, some are just doing heavy lifting, some are doing pliers, whatever it might be. It's fucking chaos. It's it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. It's ineffective. So over the course of four years, Lockie has built out this idea called systemized individualization. So let me try and articulate this idea. Um, and I want to give credit, and you know, he has been criticized heavily for this, is Mike Boyle. Me and Lockie had a very humbling conversation with Mike Boyle about a year and a half ago, maybe about a year ago. Um, and he was very, very generous, generous with his time. He sat on this Zoom call with us and he, he opened, opened up his ideas for an hour um, just to talk about this. And we, we were still hesitant to go down this route. We thought we'd be losing out on something by going to a primary primarily templated model with some individualization versus the other way around highly individualized with with very little continuity across athletes mike ball said give me a, give me a good example as woody said where most athletes won't squat where most athletes won't deadlift where most athletes won't do a unilateral hinge a unilateral knee dom some push and pull some resilience some plyos etc and they were like you know what we just need to bite the bullet and we need to stop selling a facade hmm. of individualization when it simply doesn't need to be to get the result we're promising, which is resilient, strong, powerful, athletic. We don't need to sell this facade anymore. So with all that in mind, Lockheed built five programs. Um, a field program as in you, it's a ball sport on field, a court-based program, um, a water-based program, fighting or mat, I think he calls it, and maybe striking, throwing, I think. From there, he would build out five programs. Given that there are going to be some sports-specific variants between those two, some might have more lateral influence, some are going to be striking and rotation, etc. So some, some basic individualization that goes within that program. So that gets loaded into the athlete, assuming that they've met all, assume they're not an LTAD athlete, they've and they've had training exposures, squatting, deadlifting, et cetera. They get loaded in this individual program. Then from there, we individualize as needed. If they need, if they can't do a trap bar deadlift, for example, we'll modify. But unless they can't, they do it. 
unless they can't do a bench press, we keep it. And so we kind of exclude exercises throughout their their days and then throughout their weeks um, if they have some individual demand or need why they can't do it. And then we have systems of progression within each kind of field. We have a plyometric progression. We have strength and power progressions. We have resilience progressions. There are Kevlar series, for example. We have these progressions that we can load in. So if we've identified that an athlete needs to work on calf Achilles resilience, we load in a calf Achilles progression. But once it's done, once it's done, you know, we repress plug and play. And we almost felt we almost felt like imposters initially. And this is it's like too easy, right? It's like, whoa. It's too easy. Yeah. Guess what fucking happens when you don't spend fucking 75 hours of your week sitting behind a fucking team builder account yeah. programming. You actually fucking coach. Holy fucking shit. You actually enjoy your job. Yeah. You enjoy being on the floor and you actually build a fucking incredible culture. Our culture has never, ever been better. You know, people, poor fucking athletes can't book in sessions because they're all booked out. And we're adding in sessions on a weekly basis. That's what we want to be paying attention to. Not fucking some moronic individualization for the sake of individualization. Unless someone can't do a single arm half kneeling row, why not just fucking put it in there? And not worry about their fucking row option for the next five weeks. And if they're stronger, they'll pull more. If they're weaker, they'll pull less. Hmm. Do we need to overthink this shit? Because otherwise... Otherwise, we're, we're paying attention to everything that doesn't matter and not paying attention to everything that does matter, which is compliance, consistency, culture. Very well said. Oh, that's a great summary. And I think they, people need that. Coaches need that. Can, is that. Is that purchasable? Can people get those systems from AA? Uh, it's in the works. It's in the works. 2020? We're, not, we're no longer selling our emerging strength coach mentorship. It okay. no longer reflects our values. Okay. So people actually still fucking try and buy this thing all the time. And I say, look, I'm not going to sell it to you. It's, it is it is outdated. It's not up to date. I don't want you investing in this yet. Okay. Wait for us to rebuild it and then it will be saleable. Understood. That was great. Sean yeah. Baker, what's your look, version of that? To be honest with you, I want to mirror quite a bit of what Carl talked about. I've always been um, of the opinion, it was certainly in, in more recent years as well, that really at the end of the day, like if you're working with any athlete or, or a general punter for, for this, uh, the sake of this chat as well, for everybody who's watching too, as you said, you've got your big fundamentals that you want to hit, squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull, rotate, and then probably anti-rotation as well, add in, add in there uh, too. And then generally we'll say, for example, so we, we've got, probably a, a couple of different types of levels here in regards to we do we do cater to uh, either somebody who's a, like a, a general population or maybe doesn't have the, the resources to be able to, to, to purchase some of that face-to-face -face coaching with us as well. So generally, we've got your general members where we do what we call periodized classes, which is a very, very loose term to, to be honest with you in regards to they pay their X amount per week they can come in. All the classes are, so we've got, say for example, your conditioning. Your first three-week block of conditioning is more Arabic-based. The next three-week block of conditioning is more interval and fartlek-based. And then the last three-week is change of direction and agility-based. And then we do a test at week 10, which is actually we're sitting in week 10 at the moment. 
and then we recycle through again. They, they record their results every 10 weeks. Um, same from a strength point of view. So we start a bit more volume-based. Um, we'll sort of uh, work our way through a, a lowers and uppers and a, and a full body, more volume-based for the first three weeks, and then probably a bit more pyramid strength training, so maybe like a, a 10, 8, 6 for the next three weeks. And then we do some 5 by 5 training, and then we do some one rep max testing, which I've done this week, and again, cycle through. The next tier up, so those that are probably a bit more uh, purposeful and, and uh expending more resources and actually get face-to-face coaching with myself as opposed to one of, one of our sort of more emerging coaches. Uh, that is, they'll come in for their their first, as you said, initial screen and probably some initial testing as well. That also sort of be paired with a questionnaire. And as you said, generally, like, really, it's, it's something that we've derived for over many, many uh, years and uh, with, with as much experience as we can, as you said, for each of those big rocks that we talk about. And this is what I try to sort of teach some of the coaches we're coming through as well. I want you to think about as many progressions and regressions and variations of each of those movements. So, for example, for your squat, I want you to think about you've got a, a 11-year-old kid who's never, ever walked into a gym, gym before um, and has never, never even completed a bodyweight squat. What is the very first progression or the very first exercise you're ever going to prescribe him? And think about every progression you could add to that over the next 20 years until he's been is in the elite system and um, he's, he's, uh, he's hugely proficient. And, and so and then we've sort of got this almost like a continuum of, of exercises for each of your big movements. So squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull, rotate, any rotation. And then obviously around that, we, we uh, almost sort of slot them in depending on their ability. I like to sort of program uh, ability-based as opposed to <clears throat> uh, sport-based, uh, as a lot of people say, sport-specific program. I think it's more of a, a movement and an ability-based program as opposed to being specific to their their particular sport. Um, uh, around that, yeah, so we'll, so we'll generally sort of go in in, in, in three-week blocks dependent on whether I'm, I'm happy with their, their progression within that time frame as well. Uh, I guess steps, reps, time and attention and rest are all dependent on probably the stage of the season that they might be in uh, and what their particular goals are for that time. Um, obviously, uh, taking into account a lot of the, the external uh, loading that they're undertaking uh, at that particular time, because especially, I guess, in SA at the moment, there's there's a lot of kids and, and athletes that are actually um, competing at the moment too. Um, but generally, all, all those, we, we, we run sort of those small group athlete sessions like I think you guys do it, athletes uh, there, uh, Carl. Um, I'll generally have a, a, a coach out on the floor with me too. But generally, it's, it's, they all have the same underlying theme of movements, but each of them are at some sort of different stage of the continuum. Uh, I think that 90% of the programming from a movement point of view is very similar. It's the 10% in regards to your plyometrics and your conditioning work where it does differ. So, so as, as we said, a netball is going to squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull, rotate. A football is going to squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull, rotate. Rugby player, exactly the same. Mm. But conditioning you prescribe for a footy player is going to be fairly different to something you, you prescribe for a netballer, for example, or their, their ply, the, the plyometric load or the, 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 um, uh, the intent or the focus of the, the conditioning of the, the plyometric side that you provide for those will, will vary. So we've got kids sort of in, in our program. And I think we've got 27 uh, enrolled in that sort of really specialist program at the moment that we're, that we're providing. Uh, and we've got kids that range, range from sort of 13 years old through to 
28-year-old Premier League, uh, uh, Premier grade cricketers as well. So, yeah, on big, <clears throat> your big foundations, somewhere on that continuum, dependent on their ability, uh, loading uh, sets, reps, time and attention, and rest is dependent on what their goals are for the time and stage of the season. Uh, and then just sort of use, <clears throat> I think there was a really good quote by the Athletes Authority guys the other day that, Eighty percent of your time should be spent on the sort of twenty percent of the, the those sort of little subtleties that you're adding into the program. Whereas the the other eighty percent of the program should only take twenty percent of your time because it's it is sort of almost like you can slot it in. It's something you've you've done time and time again. You just have, have to use your coaching ability and coaching intuition to to decipher where they or, or what which one of those exercise progressions is appropriate there to their ability at that time. Sean, are those systems that you've developed, because I see some similarities here, are they available for to people co- to learn online? Yeah, look, I, I haven't put any resources together, to be honest with you, and that's, that's for no other reason, just for probably uh, time and, and, yeah. and, and prioritising. Um, it's a, like, and, and to be honest, I probably find that hard to put into words. It would probably have to be a secret series of videos and things yeah. like that. Well, it's certainly something that we... Try to say every Tuesday morning at eight thirty, we we have a little sort of coaches meeting, and and generally we'll go through either some of those principles, or maybe look at some case studies of of athletes that we've worked with during the week, and some uh, whether it's sort of talking about where we've slotted them into that continuum, and and how they've uh, adjusted to those progressions or regressions, or uh, maybe talking about the accessory work that we add around that as well. Uh, but certainly it's something that I'm that I'm hoping to open to provide it's just a matter of uh as Carl said at the moment too like sort of with all your your effort on the floor and, and coaching i'll probably neglect a little bit of that back end side of things like in, in regards to to providing some some uh, pd work for up-and-coming coaches i'll probably i'll probably prefer to actually get them face to face and talk them through it and and have some sort of um some discussion around it and and tell them that look there is no right or wrong answer in this industry. If there was a perfect answer, uh, there would be no soft tissue injuries. There'd be, there'd be, everybody would be essentially uh, would have the same physical capacity and, and output. It would come down to to, to uh, a skills game essentially. But as long as you have purpose behind what you're providing, uh, and and if there's some sort of evidence and some some um, some backing behind what you're trying to provide. Uh, then I think that there's merit in the programming, absolutely. But uh, but yeah, open to providing that one day for sure. Well, they can come like mentorships, I'm sure, and, and, and coaching private privately as well to learn that, um, which is probably a pretty effective way to do it. And then Wood, you you're actually a guy who has these systems available. Like you got your big six, which is a big part of like your systems. Like, yeah. what's your um, taken two cents on on your systems? Listen, I'm not going to go into it because what what they both like Carl and Sean just said is perfect. Listen, 90% of good coaches will do the same things. They're going to hinge, they're going to squat, they're going to do some supplementary. It just listen. All the good coaches will do majority 90%, and then we squabble about this bullshit 10%. I mean, do the basics, do them savagely well. I do the same thing. You can check out woodfordssc.com. Um, I would listen. If Sean ever puts anything out, I know our thoughts, authority, Carl, you guys put something put stuff out. What you're going to notice is patterns emerge. When you see patterns emerge as a coach, you're going to go, well, they do this, they do that. They might not like doing that, but they do this. And similar, similar, same, same. You know what? I'll tell you something for anyone watching. 
all this knowledge is great, but the most important thing now I'm learning and I'm 14 years now doing this is implementation, communication, relationship building. I'm telling you, half these kids are knowledgeable, yet they can't fucking talk to somebody. If you can't fucking talk to somebody, like a, any athlete of any level, any age, even a general punt up, that's the art of being a coach. The textbook won't tell you that. And that's how you're going to get results is communication, communication, relationship building. That's what no one talks about. You can talk about systems all day long, but if you can't implement it, you can't coach it, you can't understand it, how to progress it, how to regress it, how to modify it based on their body type, their movement history, their previous injury history, their, you know, all these factors that go through my head when I'm watching someone, it's like, well, fuck, don't just fucking, there's not one size fits all approach in this game, as Sean said. There's many ways you can skin a cat in this game to end up with the same result, which is performance. So it's important to understand that, number one, there's no right or Methods are many principles of food. Applied principles, not methodologies. The minute you start sticking to methodologies, you're fucked. Always go principles and then understand that what works for one won't work for the other. Um, it's very important to understand that as well. Individualization is critical. So once you start understanding that and start understanding implementation, coaching, relationship building is more important than any sets, reps, exercise selection, then you start to get it. But I remember when I was younger, I used to always think, oh, fucking badge of honor, fuck. I know all this knowledge and then fucking I got into a gym. I was like, holy fuck, I've got to communicate it to a to an athlete who does not give a flying fuck about what I'm saying about the science. As long as he can jump high, run quicker, or have a bigger capacity to execute his skills at a higher level and reduce chance of injury. That's all he gives a fuck about. So I think a lot of young kids, they've got this obsession with letters behind their names. And I don't want to be seen as bagging on them because I'm not, but some of them have got to pull their head out of their ass and realize that this game's about coaching start putting your skin in the game. I don't give a fuck how many papers you've read. Start actually coaching. I would rather a young kid tell me that they've coached five, 10 athletes at a junior level than read fucking 10 to 20 scientific journal articles and that's what they think. I would rather, okay, what worked in the real world? I would rather, did you get a kid, a young athlete, did you pre-test them? Did you post-test them? Did, with the intervention, did they get faster? Did they jump higher? Did they change direction more effectively? Did their performance improve? Did they stay on the park? Were they not injured? Were, were they healthy? That's all I give a fuck about. And I think kids have got to stop, not kids, but co young coaches in general, just stop with this, this fucking, how many layers I got behind my name. No one gives a fuck, sorry to say that. But I don't know what Sean and Carl think, but that's my opinion these days. So that's can, I, can I add something to this? Please go, go. What works in theory, may work in practice what works in practice will always work in theory so pay attention to practice what principles you can apply that make the changes you want in practice will always be justified somewhere in the theory but if you always obsess over theory there is it is not always the case that it will work in practice so pay attention to practice far more than you pay attention to theory how many, how many smart blokes have you seen that could, could say all the right things, but when they get, get into the gym, they can't teach uh, out of hinge. They can't yeah. get out of hinge. And, like, they're baffled when they start yeah. rounding and they're, they're, they're shocked. Uh, I saw a great little demonstration. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can replicate. It might not be as effective with my fingers here, but like I remember like here's your, um, here's your knowledge and here's your experience. And like, for so example, so you're zero experience, but you think your knowledge is massive, got that knowledge curve, so you think you're right up here. And then as you get more experience in the industry, you think, oh shit, like I actually know fuck all. Like I, like I feel like I'm down here right now. And then eventually that curve starts to drift back up in your favor. But certainly a lot of people have zero experience 
and start out thinking that they know have all the knowledge in the world. Uh, but until you sort of get get out there and get your hands dirty, you'll you get a rude shot. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, yes, he knows it. Good man. I didn't want to, uh, yeah. to give that up. Well played. I just put it on the screen for people. Um, no problem. I Did think... Handy, we, didn't, we didn't plan that beforehand. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready, <laughs> locked and loaded for all detours and, and uh, places we'll go. I think uh, the last, we want to kind of keep this and be respectful of, your, of all your time. Um, I think the last place to, to finish up is, well, both Carl and Sean, you guys are fortunate enough to be able to, to take our intakes right now with gyms being open and, Fuck you know. Fuck you too. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, man. And you guys, uh, it's been looking really great. Can you guys give like a little rundown of how it's been? But more importantly, how you guys have been able to effectively teach because teaching is a different skill set in of itself. Yeah, well, uh, this is a, a first for us. This is the first set three and four that we've, we've taught. And I think we've got nine students now. So I've been absolutely loving it, to be honest with you. Um, really, really appreciative of the opportunity you guys have provided for us. So I guess how I wanted to tackle it, as well as incorporating a lot of the, the content that you guys sent through, was to, to think about it from their perspective. And, and if, if I was doing the course and sort of from, from day one, think to myself all right so these these kids in six months time have, have finished their cert three and four and let's just say for for lack of a better example they're, they're going out to an anytime fitness they've just got their their job at anytime fitness um what happens next so like what's going to happen they're, they're sitting there uh they they advertise and somebody gets in contact and says you know what johnny i want to train with you big fella uh so we've sort of tried to take it in really sequential order so the first session that we we uh, uh, opened up with was, all right, the, first of all, the, the screening process and, and the, your initial client questionnaire, uh, making sure that not only are they, they sort of looking after the health of their clients, but also covering their asses from a liability perspective as well, because that's uh, a, probably a pretty relevant issue in today's society in regards to making sure they've ticked all those boxes. From there, uh, once they've derived the goals that that client wants from, from the training with, with, with this coach that they're going to be working with now, I think it's really important and it sounds so basic, but something that is actually understood so poorly and something I've been really emphasising is we just sort of went back over almost what I would consider to be year 11 or year 12, probably biology or PE, and getting them to really understand the true definition of what are the physiological components of fitness. Like, Because if, if you said to somebody, all right, what's the difference between muscular strength and muscular endurance? A lot of these, a lot of, a lot of these people just like, they're just sort of, they're, they're shocked. They're, they've got no, no idea. Um, and if I ask them, okay, so if I was to set uh, a set of, of squats, um, let's say three sets of 12 with 30 seconds rest in between, is that working strength or is that working endurance? I think because of the F45s and some of those group training classes that advertise themselves, this is our strength class, guys, just for the fact that they're holding weights in their hands as opposed mm-hmm. to um, actually truly training strength. So we've... we've First sort of touched on all those and each week we've been focusing on a different principle. So as I what is the true definition of strength? It's the your muscles ability to produce force at a maximally for one repetition. Somebody comes to you and says, I want to increase increase my lower body strength. All right, what are what are all the different types of training principles we can start to implement to be able to elicit that response? Um, so we sort of did that for strength, we did that for muscular endurance and aerobic capacity. We've done that for hypertrophy as well probably what I sort of consider to be the big four of what our students are going to be 
experiencing when they come back out. We're going to go into sort of power and change direction a little bit later, but that's probably a little bit less relevant to them, I think, from probably a, a more sort of generalised Cert 3 and 4 point of view. So I went through that. Uh, so that's sort of been the first four weeks and then going to the fifth week, we just did a little bit. Uh, so we, we've un- now we're understanding those principles and some things we need to do to be able to elicit those responses. Now we're just going back to a little bit of functional anatomy and, and understanding, all right, well, now we know these principles we, we want to utilise. Uh, let's say, for example, we want to be focusing on a particular muscle. Somebody says, I want to um, increase my upper body strength. Now we're getting an understanding of the functional anatomy around these, these uh, the upper body, say, for example, that their client's going to be wanting to work uh, and just um, reiterating to them. So like the, I think there was a video you guys sent through in regards to the, the five primary muscle movements, so abduction, adduction, um, like rotation, flexion, extension, and things like that. So going through all the muscles and understanding as well sort of the the, the function of, of each of the muscles so that when you are putting a, a session or a program together for your client, you're not just sort of picking randomly and, and, and getting a nice, well-rounded approach to, their, to their, their sessions or their programming as opposed to saying, all right, I want to increase lower body strength. So we're going to do leg press, we're going to do squats, we're going to do leg extensions, and we're going to do uh, a single leg squat off a box. And all of a sudden you've got four or five quad dominant exercises and you've completely negated hip extension, abduction, uh, uh, hip, all those sorts of things as well. So that's sort of where we've taken it so far. Um, I think in the next few weeks we'll start to now, we've, we've understood the principles, we've understand, understood the anatomy uh, and the, 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 the movement demands of each of the muscle groups. Then we're going to go into some programming. So that, I think that's going to be really exciting. So... Um, that's sort of the journey we're taking so far with it all, uh, but in, enjoying every every step of the way and, and, and loving to see the joy in their faces when they actually get their hands dirty and coach each other a little bit with the principle that we've hit that day. That's awesome, Sean. Thank you for sharing that. Carl, what's your version of that? We, we've taken a, a different approach, and I think this probably goes back to there are many ways it's going to cap, which yeah. is yeah, perfect. great that there's enough, um, there is enough trust within the Orphic um, kind of education business to, to let us yes. guide our processes. Absolutely. Because if we can teach in the processes that make most sense to us when we conceptualize them, we're going to get the best outcomes um, for our students. So it's, it's wonderful we have that flexibility. So I actually meant the other one. On, on day one, I taught people how to program um, from a movement categorization perspective for two, three, and four-day programs by day one. And they could write a two- and three-day program by the time they left in under three minutes, not including sets and reps or prescription of intensity. Um, and I, I wanted to start from that perspective because it allowed me to get a gauge of their existing understanding and also their, their training bias, how they currently trained. We had one guy who, uh, despite giving him the framework, still wanted to include about 75 to 80% upper body dominance <laughs> you know which is great mm-hmm. you know so it, it gave me that chance to to figure out where they're out there but by the end of kind of their second session yeah they were punching out um they were punching out two and three day programs in in three minutes or less and can i interrupt you that's yeah. based on the systems that you were talking about earlier right well, that's based on the system i was talking about earlier cool. and the reason i do that is because i want them to have the freedom and the capacity to think about what matters not what doesn't matter and if you're sitting in front of a program and trying to figure out how to run a two-day program for Jane Doe, who's 
who's maybe got her the standard injury list that you would accumulate after 50 years of life and she's trying to lose some weight if you spend spend you know 45 minutes thinking about her day one program you missed the fucking point by that point in time completely missed the point so i wanted to start from that lens and now what we've been doing is teaching people about continuums so we have um we start with lower body and we start with a knee dominant and hip dominant continuum across your lower body exercises let's take a squat there is an element of hip flexion extension and an element of knee flexion extension but in a squat it's more knee dominant and less hip dominant and say take a deadlift it's inverse so what we've done is taught people that continuum what is essentially wholly hip dominant on one side versus wholly knee dominant on the other side and then built out their continuum so that's what we've been doing over the past two weeks is teach them the plethora of the 60 70 exercises more like 30 at this point in time that fit along that continuum so they can understand the influence of knee and hip dominant as it relates to upper body and uh, lower body and then across bilateral and unilateral categorization because then you have the unilateral you step up lunge options and uh, which are probably more toward the knee side and then you have your rdl arabesque um single leg hip thrust options toward the hip dominant side so that's what we've been doing over the past um two weeks and that's where we're up to now so um and only from there once they understand that framework is literally the inverse of shawnee we will then start to apply exercises and programs to different fitness qualities strength power muscle endurance etc now that they understand um the exercises and the framework of programming they can apply different set rep schemes different intensities different rest times etc how do you um, deal to- with um yeah. them from a program perspective there will be some assumed knowledge of anatomy physiology joint actions how do you pass that out um when that's the first thing they've learned they may not have that experience with right so theory. let's take needom we've done needom over the past two weeks as as we've taught needom we've taught the primary joint actions that exist in in knee dominant exercises the understanding dorsiflexion of the ankle understanding flexion extension, okay. understanding valgus understanding virus okay. understanding hip abduction adduction flexion extension so we actually i i don't love anatomy i am certainly no expert and when we do that big anatomy lesson i will get my physios in to teach that class mm. because i'm just not that great at it i have a rudimentary understanding but certainly i'm i'm certainly not a king at understanding the the 15 different bones in the foot or what there's 33 or something isn't there or something ridiculous it's a lot i'm no expert i'll get them to do that um but i'd rather teach the anatomy joint action muscular action components as we go through the main movement categories it's kind of compartmentalized a little bit um so you know when we get upper body push then we'll teach about horizontal abduction adduction got it so it's conjugates yeah. together yeah awesome yeah. look guys i think that's a we had a different pacing and, and topic of conversation today i think it's pretty valuable um because every time we come together it's it's a re, it's a refreshing perspective and a whole bunch of new topics so guys thank you so much again um for taking the time i hope you guys stay well over the next couple months and last comments thoughts and just where people can find you woody sean carl well, I just think, actually, to be honest with you, for, for probably our experiences, is this the third or fourth of these we've done now? I've lost count. I think it's the um, fourth. Yeah, fourth? I think it's the yeah. fourth, yeah. Um, 
many aspiring coaches. I think this is almost one of the most valuable chats we've done in regards to the nature of the industry and and, and maybe uh, unraveling a few of the, the ideas around, for example, pro sport, giving some ideas behind programming, which is invaluable because that's stuff you just don't get taught at, yeah. at, in university and things like that as well. So, so guys, get a, get around. I thought that was a really good chat and, and very, very, um, <laughs> very valuable for, for anybody who maybe is a bit unsure of about any of those things in the industry. Or get a <laughs> test. <laughs> 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 Thanks guys. Much love. Now remember you gotta leave the call so I can uh outro this. See you Alright guys. Another coaches roundtable with those four amazing uh coaches and human beings. Um this is Webinar Wednesday Coaches Roundtable, the Orphic Podcast, as I prefer to call it. Um, to let you guys know about kind of the context of what we we're talking about, we're actually talking about the Dunning-Kruger effect um, earlier in the conversation. It's a, I'll just cover it very briefly here. Why not? Um, it's a really interesting uh, psychological principle that basically covers uh, perceived intellect um, versus actual competence. So your actual skill set versus your perception of what how competent you think you are and so at the start of learning a new skill you know you know you're six months in 12 months in oh i'm pretty confident right now you start off obviously very unconfident but you get into it you do your cert three and four okay i'm pretty confident and then you soon quickly realize oh oh i'm at the peak of mount stupid there's so much still i don't know you realize that you have just opened a window in a home of a thousand windows and you now you need to go look through all the 999 other windows, right? And then you get down to the valley of despair where you think, oh, God damn it, I know nothing. I know nothing. But then from that perspective of humility, then you can enter the slope of enlightenment and week after week, day after day, year after year, you learn, learn, learn. Your wisdom increases. Your knowledge increases. And you enter this plateau of sustainability between confidence and real education. And that is effect effectively the Dunning-Kruger effect. And so it's realizing how you're participating in that, uh, where you sit along that continuum is, um, is, is pretty important. Now, to finish off, guys, webinar Wednesday, you guys can see this every single Wednesday, 10 a.m., we release these or go live with these, um, talking to a whole bunch of different variety of guests, as you guys can see. A whole bunch of heavy hitter coaches and health professionals. Um, we've done the Coaches Roundtable many times. That's that. I'm Alexander Emanuel. That's, uh, that's this guy talking. All these podcasts are on YouTube and all podcast platforms. You just put your name, number, and details in the... Uh, on the website if you want to get notified about when we do these. I'm Alexander Emanuel, Orphic Education, what we do, we deliver Cert 3s and 4s in fitness. So if you're serious, you're committed, and you don't want the easy way, if you want the hard way, if you want the comprehensive way into becoming a coach and, and trainer in this industry to not just be good, but to set yourself up to be great and build those foundations and learn those systems, we might be a good fit for you. Let us know. Otherwise, we're going to see you guys next week and every week. 
I'm Alexander Emanuel. I'll see you guys soon.